And with that, episode 357 in the books. Thanks to Sal here. Uh, wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks to our 60,000, uh, closing in on 60,000 subscribers. Appreciate your support. You know what to do. Uh, stream it wherever you possibly can stream. Let iHeartRadio know they made a great choice. Five stars. Write some great comments. We can battle those analytics of the podcast world, just like they do in Major League Baseball. The Blackout Coffee. Be awake, not woke. Load up on your holiday coffee. Make sure that you get your 20% out of checkout. Capital David, D-A-V-I-D, number 20 afterwards. You get 20% and then you get 15% in perpetuity with that. Appreciate uh, great episode again, Sal. And look forward to Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino. Have a great joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello. This is the Hot Corner with Coach Sal, episode 357 on the network. I want to thank our subscribers closing in on 60,000 right now. We appreciate your support. Keep giving us the support with the, with the likes, the stars, the comments. It all helps us battle those analytics of the podcast world. And thank you to Blackout Coffee. Be awake, not woke. Uh, one of our friends now in the marketing world, 20% off at checkout if you use the code DAVID, all capital letters with the number 20 after it. And they'll give you 15% off in perpetuity. Great coffee. I'm drinking the espresso right now. Uh, we've got a loaded show today, and we actually had a loaded pre-show. We both got a sweat going on. Huh. Talking about the modern day youth athlete here, but uh, Sal, welcome back to your show, Dave. Great to be here. It's amazing. What did you say? Show three fifty seven. To think I was on the first show, right? We were on the first show together way back. Is that correct? That's it. Yeah, we were on uh, the first. Little, uh, the resident experts, I think we called it back then, and um, and now that's morphed off into that show's become. Uh, well, it was coaching Kernan, but. Uh, we do have the Coach and Kernan show. We're doing yourself, uh, Will George, uh, obviously me, and, and the star of that show, Kevin Kernan. And, uh, and you guys have all spawned off into your own superstardom here with your own shows because of the audience demanding that. So we give them what they want. They wanted more Sal. We gave them more oh, Sal. That's good to know. I hope it's uh, we're doing the job. I guess the the, the um, subscribers or whatever the number is you use, that'll tell the, to- that'll tell the tale. Yeah, they, uh, they're consistent. Uh, we get, and we're, we're adding some things to our stuff. I just, uh, and I'll put this out. I'll send it to you guys first, but, uh, we're, we're going to have some gear made up hats and sweatshirts and, uh, long sleeves and short sleeves, uh, with the real voices of the game on it. And people can basically order what we want and it'll all be drop shift. And, uh, I put up a, uh, a store, uh, and we'll put some, we'll have a section for real voices of the game on there and all the shows. So people can get on there and get gear, or, um, we have people that have written books, guests, and whatnot. We're going to try to help our our audience and our guest members really grow their their careers. So um, we're, we're we're expanding in the new year, twenty twenty four. Well, it'll be good to be part of it, and hope we can keep that upward trend moving in the right direction. Yeah, without a doubt. And you gave me a ton of stuff on uh, on our. We we go back and forth through Instagram, through text all week. But um, I had a, I had a list and. I was just going to kind of run through, and if, if if you if you don't like the topic, just scratch it if that's all right. But if you yeah. do, Go. expound upon it. You, you sent me something on life expectancy, and I, obviously, when you hit that fifty year old mark, you get a little bit more conscious of that. Uh, do, do you recall that that uh, DM you sent, and did you want to expound upon that? Uh, you caught me there on that one. I don't remember. I'm, I don't remember that one. There's so many things I've sent. Um, let me pull well, it up. I, mean, I, I know we've had an issue here. We've we've had 
an excess. It's not. I don't think it's the. Um, it's the life expectancy. It's the excess mortality that we 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 keep seeing in all different forms and all different sources. The number of um, the number of people dying and the the what do they call it? Excess mortality. The all cause mortality is going up. So we're seeing uh, from a variety of sources. So it's not just, um, it's, it, it's not just say the, I hate to use the term because it gives power to those who don't want to hear the truth, but it's not just us conspiracy theorists. You have these facts coming out of, of re- legitimate statistical based organizations. And, and the, the one I think I sent you was this, uh, the, the, the title of the article uh, it was a consulting article, a, a consulting group that wrote it is that the veil of silence over excess deaths. We've had more than enough people from Ed Dowd, who was the first on this stu- subject, to different public health organizations, the insurance industry uh, has put out data that we have this massive uptick in excess deaths amongst the youngest and working population, uh, working age population. And it does not coincide with COVID. As a matter of fact, after you allow for COVID, the big the big COVID year, there was no uptick in excess mortality. We had the same amount of deaths. Uh, the year COVID was supposedly responsible for this than we did the year before. It was only in the years after COVID that we've had this uptick. Yeah. And you, you hit it right on the head. And one of the other articles following that was U.S. life expect, expectancy data proves that the experts in quotes are literally killing us. So, um, right, right. That that's, uh, there, there was that, there was the, um, kind of, and it's kind of, I think it's, I, I think it's at the point where, where some of this excess deaths in the younger age group is such a, it's, it's to such an extent it's affecting the overall, the overall number, which is, is tremendous when you think about that's, Obviously, that's a huge portion of the the population, but we've talked about it here, Dave. All of these dietary interventions, and and that this is a long term. This story was looking at it from more of a long term issue. When you look at the the nutritional advice that's been given back in the seventies, which was the low fat, no meat, low meat, low fat diet, that's been the the root of all cause of all our cause of problems at this point. And again, thanks to this expert class. Yeah, I think it's spanned over three decades that, that one article was Food Lies. And then so with and this, this will kind of transition if you want to, pardon the pun, but the uh, there was an article that I read that you sent where because of the, you know, the chemicals, the the stress I guess kids have nowadays, and then the, the obesity problem, somehow that's triggering uh, kids, particularly females, to start puberty earlier, six well, and seven years old in the article? Yeah. I mean, not only do we have this earlier start of puberty, but we have this drop in fertility in, in, um, in, some pop, in many populations. And it, it, it's, it, I know people have been pointing to the vaccine as having that. And there is some uh, data that shows in the short term that is occurring, but there's long longer term data that is 
bringing that to the fore, that it's not just this short-term situation from possibly the vaccine. It is um, this drop in male fertility linked to the, uh, a lot of common pesticides. And I know there's been arguments about this for years, about are the pesticides healthy or not, or oh, not damaging. But I think what you have to look at is how much of this agency capture, which is the concept of the industries that are supposed to be policed by our governmental agencies, how much have these agencies have been taken over by the industries that they're supposed to be watching over? And for how long has this been going on? My sense is now, knowing what we know, that this agency capture has been in effect way longer than most people suspected and is why we have a lot of questionable things being done in the name of our health and wellness. Yeah. And these last two, if, if our audience wants to follow it, uh, I think Food Lies um, posted these, a couple of these on Instagram and the article that we're referring to right now is from Science News entitled Global, De- Global Decline in Male Fertility Linked to Common Pesticides. That doesn't surprise me. No. And I think there's enough data that indicates we have a problem somewhere in our environment. It's to me, I think of all the potential causes, the most likely is our nutritional avenue because we the food we eat, and I don't mean me personally, but as a society, that the foods that people are eating are low quality, higher produ- high produced, I'm sorry, um, higher processed than are what we used to eat. Again, we're at the point we've, we've talked about this and we've repeated it, but I think we need to keep repeating it because I still get this response from people. Oh, you mean red meat's not bad for you? Oh, you mean how much cholesterol you eat has no bearing on your cholesterol level? So there, we need to keep repeating it because there's people that are educated, uh, otherwise being interested, involved in their own health and fitness that still don't know that those Myths have been exploded and they still carry on under the misconception that they're doing themselves a favor by not eating a whole egg and not eating red meat. Yeah, and and this goes back to the point you make every show. People have to stop, be aware, do their research, especially before you put something in your body. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, again, just think of just think of the job, using in quotes, the job that's been done on the general public, that we're at a point where someone is more likely to eat a processed breakfast cereal or some other, uh, which is Frankenstein's brew of chemicals and processes and fake food, and that's somehow going to be better than a glass of milk or an egg or a steak. Uh, that, that just is how far afield these, quote, public health officials and our governmental agencies have have led us, and we're at this point. I, I I post this all the time. But one of the other phrases I use is, "We now have probably easily three generations of people that don't know how to feed themselves," which is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and and you stress all the time that the the need for protein. Yeah, that you need protein. You need uh, naturally clean sources of protein. Everyone has their protein powder and their bars and their shortcuts. But at the end of the day, when you go into Wawa, you're better off going to the kiosk that has the hard-boiled eggs than you are going down the aisle that has the protein bars. And I eat, you know, protein bars 
just like everybody else. But at the end of the day, I'm better off with the hard-boiled eggs, and it's cheaper. Yeah. And we, we both saw the, the article, I think, where um, Texas A&M just fired their football coach, paying them 26 to 28 million or 26 to 28 thousand dollars a day for the next eight years not to coach football we all want that job but yeah, uh, yeah. they just trained they just changed or they changed recently their nutrition program with the football team and i mean does does that have something to do with their their poor performance there's a lot of things to do with their performance not winning well, if you're emphasizing grains over protein you're certainly going to affect performance and in in cases where now this is not Football is not a time and distance sport, so you can't go out and say, well, look, we ran, just to take an example, our our five 5K meter times for the last 15 years have been in this range, and then this year we went to whole grains over protein and our numbers dropped off the table or our numbers improved. In football, it's very hard to measure except for wins and losses. You know, certain things, weight room gains, all that stuff is not – indicative of gains on the field. So no matter what any one of these uh, so-called experts are going to tell you, weight room stuff has very little to do with what's going on on the field. So you have to, you have to consider that part of the problem at, at Texas A&M is they've make, they're making bad decisions across the board. And you just add this nutritional decision uh, uh, to the list of bad things they're doing. Yeah, and then it, it it goes further, kind of this. It's kind of circle back to the point you were making about how the same groups that are studying the quote unquote problem. Sorry, on an audio show, I'm doing quotes. They're they're basically studying studying the same problems or issues that they're governing, creating the the answers to the test and make it look like what they're doing is the answer. And we you you sent me something also about ultra processed foods are good for your health. This came. This came from a WHO study, uh, you know, World Health Organization, talking about grains, breads, cereals that are heavily processed, that they reduce the risk of multi-morbidity due to fiber content. Yeah, that's just garbage. Again, fiber is one of those other mythical ingredients or substances that were supposed to have all these protective and anti-heart disease and cholesterol-lowering uh, qualities and it, it's all not backed up by real science. That's just a joke of a of a paper. Whoever wrote that again, that's one of those when you look into the into the details of it. It's a who funds it. B what is it a study or is it a paper? What kind of study is it? That's just garbage. That's to get what is it called clickbait? That's just clickbait. Yeah. And oh, it's designed to support the agenda because we're in a society now. We're at a time in our society where people read. Sound, sound bites and headlines. That's that's all we have. So you're going to get that message and you're going to have three quarters of the people read that are not going to go anywhere beyond the first paragraph, if that. And that's the message that's going to be continually drumming, drummed into their heads. The USA, USA Today should have held on a little longer. They'd be in vogue now because they were kind of a clickbait type of periodical. Not a ton of substance, just a lot of headings and these colors. You... um. You know, and, and to kind of further that point, there's a there, Bill Gates just started another company, right? That, that the WHO study probably was put out to support. Yeah. Any any backlash from there? And you know, you mentioned meat early on. I, I would have to imagine. Well, no, I'm not going to imagine anything because there's there's craziness out there. But there's all these 
multi-ingredient chemical concoctions. We talked about the Beyond Burger before, um, as opposed to eating actual food. Are we still dealing with that right now? Is there still, I know you talked about restaurateur friends of yours that are saying, hey, people don't buy it. It's not real. But is, is, is that still going on out there? Are they still trying to put studies to tell us to eat these concoctions as opposed to, we did talk well, about I think, are, I, I think they've learned their lesson. I don't think there's studies anymore. I think we don't need studies for, for obviously for, for regulatory bodies to approve certain things. It's clear from the last three years, we don't need studies because we have the vaccines as the, the great example of not needing to be vetted scientifically to be pushed to the public. So we're, we're at a, we're at a, a what would you call it? It's a post study a post-proof era where now it's just you're being told to do this regardless of what the facts are and you're supposed to follow that that's where we really are because we're, we're being told all kinds of things that we know aren't true and yet people go ahead go ahead and act as if those falsehoods are truth without anything behind it and we we, we talk about it all the time we're talking about it in the concept of in the context of what you should eat people still think an egg is bad for you People don't know. How about you don't know the basic, how your body functions at a basic level that your body produces, not only does your body produce cholesterol, your body needs cholesterol for the health of your cells and that the guidelines for cholesterol intake are lower than what our bodies produce in a day. And that we know that you can feed somebody because these are the studies that can be done. We take you, Dave D'Agostino, and we feed you milk and uh, milk and eggs and beef for four weeks, and we watch your your um, cholesterol level. And guess what? If you're eating the right stuff and eating those substances, your cholesterol is actually going to be where they they want you to be. It's not going to lower because you, lower cholesterol is not the answer. Just like an endlessly progressed lower weight is not good for you. Neither is low cholesterol. We know that. You could feed people, watch the response, and yet people still think that eating cholesterol, and we're being told that eating cholesterol raises your cholesterol level by people who are supposed to be the experts. I remember the lines at the mall way back when to get your cholesterol taken for free. What's an acceptable cholesterol level? Do you know? Uh, somewhere, like I just had my blood work. Mine was 195. What, what what used to be considered normal, I think, was 220-ish. And then with the, with the pharmaceutical industry's prompting and obviously uh, graft or bribes or contributions, got that lowered to 205. So you could have been a healthy individual day the day before the change in the guidelines. And then you could go to the doctor the next day and all of a sudden you're a candidate for statins. And it wasn't based on anything other than they uh, decided to change the guidelines. And then what, 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 that, what does that mean to 200, 220? Cause I honestly, I've never had mine tested. It's, it's the, it's the, they call it serum cholesterol. So it's the level of cholesterol that's circulating within your body in your bloodstream. Yeah. And they measure it and they, you know, you, I'm not going to go into it because a, it's beyond the scope of this and B it's getting too deep in the woods, but the, the oversimplification of HDLs are good and LDLs are bad is also BS. That's also been bastardized to the point of it bears no resemblance to what's actually going on in your body. You, you should, you know, everyone should read the great cholesterol myth by uh, Malcolm Kendrick. Read anything by Malcolm Kendrick and cholesterol. There's other authors and scientists who have taken the same path. 
but I prefer Kendrick because he's a doctor, he's a researcher, and he writes with humor. So if you could find that book, The, the Cholesterol Myth by Mal- Dr. Malcolm Kendrick. Yeah, right. We'll put that in the show notes as, as well. And the, I mean, when people go in and get their cholesterol taken, I just want the last one and we'll move on there, but they come out of there, the biggest positive I always hear from somebody is they say, oh, I, my, my cholesterol is low and that's a good thing. Um, it's not it's- low. We have, we have research and we have now correlation doesn't always equal causation. So we're going to temper that this next date bit of data with that. But at the end of the day, people who have lower cholesterol have a higher all-cause mortality. And it's, it's especially true with women. We've talked about this on the show. They did a study at UCLA where they studied people that 75,000 people who had heart attacks, more people had, quote, lower cholesterol than had, quote, higher cholesterol. So, the, and they know from the, I think it's the Framingham nurses study, all of those cholesterol edicts are all wrong. Yeah. Now, in your role, I mean, you have all walks of life coming through there. You have professional athletes, you have college athletes, you have people that are, you know, not athletes at all, but are, you know, adults trying to stay in, in proper shape. You have people rehabbing. Um, you, you, I'm guessing you serve as a central point for all that is performance, including nutrition. What, what are some of the common questions you get asked and that just drive you nuts? Uh, I don't get questions. I get the responses to when I give people the, the guidelines because I don't, there's, there's very few questions that really, and not to shut down discourse, but after doing it, you get the same nonsense and it's, this, it's coming from a couple of different, different types. You get the person who gets it, some of my athletes really get it. They're dialed in on their protein. My one athlete gets over 300 grams of protein a day. He's got what you would consider normal cholesterol, has no other issues, and he's incredibly healthy and fit and resilient. Then you've got – and the kids, the, the young people that come don't know because their parents don't know because that goes back to my comment, Dave, about we have generate three generations now of people who don't know how to feed themselves. I have – at the high end, I'm not even including my parents' generation. If you're in your 80s, you have people in that age group that knew how to eat, but because of the constant drumbeat of garbage coming from the nutritional business and the health business, they have forgotten how to eat. And I don't want to go too deeply into that, but so you have that age group that's forgotten how to eat. Most people in my age group have totally gone off the reservation. We knew how to eat because our parents fed us properly, but it's because of the nature of the progression of people's jobs, their lives, what's available. My generation doesn't know how to eat. So consequently, out of that group, the kids of my generation don't know how to eat. And you're now going into the kids that are grandkids because some of my contemporaries are grandparents parents. So that group is now learning how to eat incorrectly. So we, we, we've effectively have four generations now, and the majority of whom have no idea how to feed themselves and or how to eat. But th- that portion of their life can affect, I guess, the perception or the, the output on, in terms of the job you're doing, right? Because you can't, no matter how good a job you're doing with them physically, 
if they're not doing things the right way beyond you in terms of putting stuff in their body, you're not going to have a hundred percent return on your, on your effort. Correct. Well, this doesn't sound great, but aside from some of my athletes, I don't care anymore because it's not my job beyond pointing certain things out to them. So I have a couple of clients that are constantly complaining about their, their bodies, their composition. And my response is, you know what to do. You're not doing it. And it's not my job to convince them. It's not, it's, you know, Dave, when I started doing this in the eighties, the, 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 what I would call as a, I don't use the term personal trainer because it's become a nonsensical term. Anyone in their, their, their friend with a hundred dollars on a weekend can get certified and call themselves a personal trainer. So personal trainers are worthless phrase. But when I started, it was something kind of cool because there was a handful of us and we kind of really knew what we were doing and we were committed to it. But back in those days, Dave, we were the, we were the cause of all of our clients' problems, whether they weren't in shape enough, whether they weren't happy with their body comp, whether their progression wasn't what they wanted. It was always the trainer's fault. And we were bred at that time that that kind of went with the territory, Dave, because we were really working with the elite of the society because to put into context the place i worked in 1989 they were charging almost a hundred dollars an hour at back then for a training session and people had to buy blocks of i believe 15 whereas there are still places today that you could train for less than than that so it gives you a sense of who we had and those people we were trained to handle as Whatever they said, they were right. It was the ultimate customer is right. And as I broke away from that and opened my own place, I realized that that was a a self-defeating philosophy and a a self-defeating way to be. And to be honest with you, the fact that I have an embraced gimmick tree and and I don't stroke people probably has been a detriment to the bottom line for me. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm happy with how I do things. So I don't, I don't really care anymore, Dave, if people don't want to listen to me because it's, at, it's their detriment. It's to their detriment. I can point to what I've done and what it does for me, and I can point to the people I have who listen and do the right thing and what it's done for them. And there's enough examples out there besides what I do for people to know, but they choose not to know. And I think they like the comfort that comes from turning around and saying, see, the tough school of nutrition is saying breakfast cereal is a legitimate food and better for you than eggs and dairy. So they have the the, the fallback of claiming that the, the, the group that's supposed to be smarter than me is giving them the, the, the um, affirmation they need to be lazy and just do whatever they want and then be able to blame me for not fixing it. And I just don't buy into that anymore. Yeah. They've got a website for those people. It's called www.imright.com. They can find whatever they want on there to prove their point. No, well said. I, I was always curious about that because we talked a little bit about uh, one of the roles I play in the business world and some of the commonalities were there. And I, I often think about your role being at the center point of just so many different avenues, getting hit with similar similar uh, commonalities, let's just say, where it's not the same that what I mentioned, but it's, you know, you're getting hit with the same track and how you handle it. You saw how I handle it. I go swinging in all directions, probably not the healthiest way. To well, do but, it. But, but that's you can't, you know, you have to at some point, people have to realize that for whatever, let's step back, for whatever reason, people who think because they work out in a gym have a knowledge of what I do. And because someone played high school sports, 
might put themselves and has the knowledge that you have as a baseball and basketball coach when it really is not. And there's something about what we do that people who, who dabble in it, who either are dilettantes or because they've spent time in a gym or on a baseball field or on a basketball court, that, that somehow qualifies them to know what you do and be able to speak on the same level. And I, I think, Dave, the problem, there's too many people that do what we do that accept that um, because maybe some of the people that do what we do are, are underprepared for it. So they don't feel comfortable telling someone else who's wrong that they're wrong or they don't know that that other person is, is wrong. So they they get comfort in their kind of joined ignorance. And then that joined ignorance becomes a philosophy because in my field, Dave, if you go on Instagram, uh, ignorance rules the day as far as uh, what these training videos are doing and what even what these general fitness videos are doing. So you have now this, um, there's a book called, there's a novel, The Confederacy of Dunces. We have a confederacy of dunces in the nutritional fitness and performance field that outnumber the people that know what they're talking about. So the idiot with 500,000 followers puts up a garbage video and gets criticism and can just shout down the person who's right because they have a thousand followers and this person because of their virtue of 5,000 is going to be the expert. And that's why everything is crumbling around us. That's why not just sport, but sticking to sport and health, that's why everything is falling apart. No, well, it's well put. That's, uh, I like the, the phrase that may be the, that may be my caption on this podcast right here, debunking the Confederacy of dunces. I love that. Uh, that'll catch people's attention. How about this? You have a, you have a, uh, I'm trying to think of a good catchphrase. You know, some of the podcast guys I listen to come out with a phrase that they use to describe things or, or like is their catchphrase, so to speak. And they'll, they'll put that in their merchandise store as a, uh, a T-shirt. And I think we should fight the Confederacy of Dunces could be a great T-shirt. And then you have our, our network brand at the, on the back, on the neck, and in the front, it's fight the Confederacy of Dunces, the hot corner with Coach Sal. Love it. I love it. I'll have to trademark it before I post this podcast so we have it before anybody else steals it on us. The, uh, I like that idea, that phrase. It made me, made me laugh. I had to mute myself when you said it because I, I did laugh. Well, I was reading. Um, you, you... Well, you, know what? I, I, you know what? And we don't really, we really do this. But one of the problems in my field is they don't call out idiocy. So you just sent me a, um, a post. And it's this real game dot athletics on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's the biggest nonsense ever. And it's totally training you to do things that are never going to help you and probably are detrimental to actual athletic performance. And not that you have to always have somebody recognizable doing these drills, but a lot of these drills. We could, we could, the one you just sent me, we could spend a, a half hour breaking down why just this first drill is garbage. But why is it always some schlubby looking guy doing something and it's never a real athlete doing it? I mean, that tells you something right there. It's a guy looking like he's doing it in his gym living room. And this guy has 736,000 followers. And he has. That post you sent me has over 12,600 likes. And it's if actually you do that and you're a performance athlete, 
you're probably going to hurt yourself. Yeah, I sent it to Tanner too. I sent it to Tanner because I'll send it to because I want I want my kids to have filters as well, so they don't just so that way everything they're given they don't automatically take, um, and that includes from me. So I'll send them stuff like I send you, and I'll put thoughts on it. They all have their own email accounts, and I just want to see what they think. He he put uh, he he sent a big thumbs down back to me. So I'll talk to you later about I don't like this too much stress on my knees um, at that angle. And, uh, I, he said, does, why wouldn't I just run? Um, so I said, good point. So I, I try to sprinkle in some positive ones as well. So that way they're not getting used to, it. but I want them to think, I want them to have their own ideas. Cause in today's world, these kids and any, even the adults, like you're saying, they are inundated with so much information and, and most of it bad that not only do they not know how to sift through it, they no longer have their own opinions. They no longer are self-reliant enough to, to conjure up an original thought. Well, and it's it's mob rule because you've got this echo chamber where people don't know what they should be looking at, so they're watching like this guy's account. One of the other, the, you know, and so they just it's this again, this negative. It's a negative feedback loop in that it's not it's they're they're praising it, but it's negative because people who go in there and look at it, they're like, well, he's got seven hundred thousand plus followers, so he knows what he's talking about. He's doing something that looks difficult because what he's doing is not things everybody can do. I'm not saying what he's doing is easy, but it has no correlation to competition or performance. And then you're looking at the comments who are all from people that have no idea what they're looking at, but can't do it. So they think, wow, that's pretty cool. It must make me better at X, Y, Z. And again, I could spend two hours debunking everything in that and why it doesn't work and why it won't aid performance. But no one's going to listen because they're going to say, well, you're some guy with 500, fo- not even 500 followers and the, whatever. And this guy's got 700,000 and 12,600 likes. So that's the new that's the new barometer by what we're going to judge as being good information or not. So the truth has no hope of getting out. None. It's one of, one of my phrases, catchphrase. I use this on, I think, everybody's show. Influence over excellence is the way people, the way we're governed nowadays. It, it, I, I'm all about excellence first. Yeah, that's um, a great, that's a great phrase. There was a, there was a post the other day by this Charlie Esselis, and he was a, he's an old school expert in real, what real plyometrics is. And he posted a very simple video and he said, most of what you see is ply, as being advertised as plyometrics is not, it's jump training. He said, not that there's anything wrong with jump training, but it's not plyometrics. And he has this young athlete perform both. And he says, this is jump training and this is plyometrics. And it's it's 100% spot on. He's 100% right. And the, the comments in the field, the comment field are so bad and so negative towards this guy who is really one of the experts. It's, it's amazing. And it just shows you in a nutshell the futility of social media and the, the futility of trying to get your message out in this, in this kind of an environment. Yeah. There's an, there's an anger that comes with disagreeing nowadays that it just, it doesn't know, it doesn't restrict itself just to sports. So it's, it's out there in politics and, and everything else you can imagine where part of why we started this network, we, real voices of the game. We have a lot of people and it really, you just described who we are. We're voices that are, you know, speaking um, probably in the minority in terms of prioritizing excellence, not worried about clickbait, 
but being marginalized in a way because our information threatens people. Um, it makes people think, it makes them think maybe I'm wrong and it threatens the wrong kind of people. Um, that's exactly why we started this. I mean, that, that one post you're mentioning is it embodies what we're about. So I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's, I don't know what the answer is because we're not going to, I had a discussion with a buddy, uh, yesterday who, who's a quite successful basketball trainer in the area, knows his stuff, uh, posts stuff on Instagram and is running an online business where he's selling his programs. And we were talking about it, but at the end of the day, it's just such a, an unappealing process to me that I have no interest in trying to do that where you're exposing yourself and trying to get these clicks and, and somehow direct that into business. I know that's the way you're supposed to do it, but it's such a, a, a crappy way to have to exist. I don't want to do it. And I know some other very well-known skills guys in the basketball space who were the top guy in the field. And rather than stay committed to their non-gimmickry, they kind of gave in to the, to the crowd. And instead of being in that position of number one, where you don't have to lower yourself to, to get popular, they still are worried about what the competition is doing. And as a result, they lower their level, which dilutes their message, which then puts them in that garbage layer with the dunces. So that, and that's what you have to do. You, you're lower. It's the lowest common denominator, no matter, you know what, Dave, I always have said, I wish we could take the hype machine and apply it to something that was sound, but I don't think there's a, a way those two things can coexist. I don't think it's possible anymore. I don't think it's possible to take a good, solid program and idea and apply this massive hype machine to it to allow it to become popular because I just don't think we have the ability to handle those things. Yeah, it's the way these you know people make money off of getting clicks. So being uh, being excellent is not a priority for getting clicks in the world that we live in. So if social media um, is de-emphasized and, you know, as long as people can monetize their, their silly little thoughts, then it's, they're, they're going to keep doing it. So we got to find another way. Hopefully this network is at least a, a minor vehicle that we can use to, to get the, get the word out there. And well, no, I think that, I think these the podcasts and video casts where you're able to connect with people and give them. So, so we've gone, I think this, the, the the pendulum has swung so far to where we're depersonalizing. Everyone thinks that Instagram is personal because, and all these other social media forms, because you can now contact all these people. But the look, goes back to your phrase about you know the quality uh, doesn't have anything to do with the quantity. But I, I mean that's not your your phrasing it, but that's what your message was. That's what mine is. So we've gone to this point where you it's it's such a depersonalized process that we're swinging it back by using things like podcasts and video casts where I don't need 400,000 people that want to buy into us. We want a couple of hundred people that are willing to come to us and we can help recruit their kid. We can help train their kid. We can help improve their healthy lifestyle. And that's how you do it because that's the invaluable skill that these Instagram jockeys can never do. They, they don't have it's not sustainable because you're getting to this point where you're never going to be able to continually add these followers and come up with things that 
are going to be good in the long term. You're going to have that that transient part of the population that's coming through and then off to seek the next thing. But as I've said, I don't want tire kickers. I want someone who's in it for the long term. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think our whole network is of the same same mindset. That's why we've taken our time building it and being careful who we bring into the mix, whether it's another podcaster or our, you know, even our friends with Blackout Coffee. So I'm glad well, we even, even look at how we do things like when I evaluate an athlete or you're going to have a kid in the recruiting space. I do the same thing, and that's why we're going to do this with lacrosse and bring that to the to the market. You're not doing a family or a kid a favor if you're telling him he could go play in UNC when you know deep down he'd be better off and he's not playing there, and he'd be better off at a D3 school or a D2 school that has X, Y, and Z that's going to be better for him. So you might turn away some people, which is fine because not everybody's going to be able to service everybody that comes their way, but – you're going to do good for everybody. And over time, that's going to be the most important thing. Oh, yeah. I turn away, for every one person I take on, I turn away three. And um, for me, it's got to be somebody recommended by someone in my circle, preferably somebody who's gone through the process with me before. And that way they have a support network because, as you mentioned, telling people the truth is not always a popular thing. Um, I think that's kind of a theme to today. And, you know, a good question I always ask people, you mentioned UNC, we'll use them again, regardless of the sport, lacrosse, basketball, baseball, football. My first question to them is, you know, take a look at their roster, take a look at their history. Have they had success with a player that looks like you from outward appearance to, you know, height, weight, all that stuff to skill set, to style of play, um, geography? Have they won with – doesn't mean it can't happen, but, you know, that's the first first uh, thing. For Every time someone wins a you know national championship game every year, it's down to two teams. The whole country stopped watching. It doesn't – again, doesn't matter what sport it is. Whichever player plays out that game, had it happen with South Carolina a couple years ago with the NCAA tournament, a uh, kid ended up getting taken number five in the draft, five foot four, lightning quick, strong. I mean, built like you wouldn't believe, but just killed it. And every, and then the same on the men's side, you know, every player that resembled that person in just the tiniest capacity, whether it was height, um, where she, where she grew up or where he grew up, um, text me, I think my child resembles that player. I think, you know, they could do the same things he or she did. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking like whatever they're drinking for their, their national championship party. I need a little bit of that too, to feel that good. Little bit, little bit delusional for just a moment in time, because. Uh, but oh, it just makes me. But it goes back to your point with with the people you work out. It gets to a point where you just don't even respond to that because um, they don't get that they don't get it, and you're wasting time. And, and and you can't you you can't help everybody. Again, thirty five plus years of doing this, you can't help everyone. You know, it's the same thing again in recruiting. I've recruited, I've had kids of mine in high school be recruited to play at the highest level of sport. I've coached in college at all three levels and recruited kids for those different levels. I've had my sons recruited and played at all different levels, potentially played at all, all levels. And you just kind of know, and you kind of can tell and you, and people, you know, don't want to listen to you. But at, at the end of the day, like, like I said, you can't help everybody. We're, we're going to set out 
to to do in lacrosse what you have done in baseball, basketball space, softball space. And it doesn't matter if we have three kids or 30 kids, if those three kids are in the right space and they're happy, then that we've done our job. And, and uh, over time, that other stuff's going to happen. And, you know, I think that's one of the things we need to do is give parents a little more of a uh, reality check in regards to this process. You know, that's one of the big problems in all of these club sports. They paint this picture and I, I always rely on lacrosse because I think it, it gives you a more stark example. I think baseball, everyone's played, everyone has a baseball team. When you look at the fact that there's only about 70, there's less than 80 Division One lacrosse teams. And in the past, say, 20 years, they've probably added 10 or 12 to that number. And yet lacrosse has been played across, is now being played across the country in massive numbers. It's the fastest growing sport around. There's only about 120 more spots than there were 20 years ago for these D1 kids, but there's probably 200,000 more kids playing. So it's, it's actually gotten harder to get into these spaces than it used to be. Yes. So there, there needs to be that reality check amongst uh, parents and, and kids about, where you could go and now can you use it to help you get into school and not play there? Probably, but you're, that's a completely different goal and a completely different uh, process. Yeah. And we, we try to make it as systematic as possible. I told you a little bit of this strategy before the show as we were, we were kind of chatting. It's our, it's our dynamic warm up we call it. But um, you know, we, at the end of this weekend, I'll have every basketball program, in America's roster set up by depth chart and by, by grade basically. And then, uh, there's already, which I don't like talking about and I won't mention schools names, but when you have that up there, division twos and division ones, you know, you're talking about, I don't know, 600 and some odd programs and on each side, men and women. So when a, you know, a, a six foot six swing player is looking to go play at Virginia and I look on their depth chart and say, they just signed two in the freshman class and they have one in the sophomore class. They don't need any more of that. It's not that you can't, sometimes it's not that they can't play there. It's just that they already have one of you. Right. Um, so it's, it's those conversations. And so when, when people give me their list, that's like everybody's favorite thing. Cause you do that with your guidance counselor. Give me your list of schools. Well, sports works the entire opposite direction as the way normal applications work. And I always tell kids the, that please, you know, appease your guidance counselor. But when we, when you talk to me, understand that everything they told you is going to totally mess you up for our conversation. Because in some cases, kids won't even apply until well after they sign their letter of intent. I mean, they won't want to apply to school sometimes in May because they just forgot that very simple part of the process, which sounds crazy, but right. true. But we take them through that. Hey, they already have one of you here. Or, you know, they your skill level right now, you've gone head to head against these four or five players and here's where you're deficient or right now my eye tells me that um, you're lacking a B and C to compete in that conference or you don't make them better sometimes as blunt as that this is a program that's at the bottom of the league they don't need more of you they need to upgrade their talent right now um, and uh, you know in terms of what they're bringing in as freshmen and then we look at the transfer portal to say hey this is these are kids that you know, we listen to the scuttlebutt, a lot of unhappy kids. I mean, think about it. They've only played like four games and you already got kids that are unhappy. Um, but we keep our ear to the ground. We hear things. We don't contribute to it. 
none of our kids that we put, we don't engage with that with them. That's, hey, we're going to help you. Four years, you're going to be there. We, we haven't had a kid transfer yet. Um, and we're going to, uh, but we're going to keep our ear to it. We listen to coaches say, hey, you know, we, we may have made a mistake with this kid. Um, none of our kids, of course, but with, with some of these other kids. And we just write it down. We keep track of how many programs we think are going to have movement. And then, of course, the hot seat. Um, you know, that, that also plays into it. They'll, you know, you get 60 Division One head coaches changing a job in one sport, let's say men's basketball. That's about, you know, two to 300 assistant coaches changing jobs, maybe more. Wow. And um, with that comes a lot of recruiting movement with the transfers. I mean, think about that mayhem that happens. And um, we've just have to, we're on top of all that. We're kind of just keep, we're observing. And, uh, and then when it's our time, we, you know, it happens really quickly because we're, we're there. We have all the information ready, almost like an analyst. And then when it's time to move into it and we become an operative, you get on the ground, you go. And um, when it's time to go, gosh, it happens 24, 48 hours. That's why I tell people, go, go get a hobby. Just produce, perform, stay off the internet. Don't try to strategize with me because I don't have the time to, to give it to people. And I also don't have the desire, kind of like you're saying, like they're not going to get it anyway. It's just going to cause more stress and they just want gossip. I said, so just enjoy your children, do your job, get me videos when they play. As something pops up, I'll tell you, but just to, just understand that I'm on this all day long. This is this is like, it's not a, it's a way of life. It's part of how I grew, grew up and my, my vocation. So I'm, I'm kind of moving in and out of spaces that they're not going to see anyway. I'm, I, I called, I, I told one dad the other day, he goes, describe your day. I said, I move in frames right now that you can't see. And it, that's not a, that's braggadocious. It's just, that's, it's intuitive. It's, no, you know, great. Yeah. I hear and I, I'm in it and I, it doesn't even look like I moved. And, uh, you know, but, you know, to them, they're looking on the internet like, oh my gosh, Facebook. I said, if you saw it on Facebook, so did 45 million other people. And it's probably not true. Um, but it's got you guys chasing in a direction that isn't real. So anyway, I, I, I digress there. I, I kind of went off on a, or usually I go off on one tangent of show there, but, uh, uh, I wanted to ask you one question. We kept you for almost 50 minutes here. I, I, I read that ultra marathon one you sent me, apparently I'm going about my racing the wrong way. Yeah, get in the car for a couple of miles, right? A couple of miles. I was, uh, I laughed the other day. We were driving somewhere, um, and uh, my wife had asked. She goes, "How how much?" Or one, of the, I think Harper asked our youngest daughter. She has paid how much further? Because they they know not to ask me when I'm in a car. I hate that question. Um, how much further? Like it's agonizing to be in a car with us, or maybe it is. And uh, they, uh, Peyton was like, "I think it's about we got about nine miles to go." And I love Tanner's comment. He goes, "Dad could run it." And, uh, you know, cause the ultras that I do, they're a hundred point three miles, but, uh, you had to drive in a car. The funny part about it is if you ask me to drive a hundred miles, I'm like, Oh God, it's like dreadful. But, uh, that's funny. Yeah. But, uh, the, but, but again, I'm not running that every day. That's the one time, one time a year that I'm, that I'm doing it. But this year I'm going to try to do the, uh, the grand slam. Um, I got to qualify first. I think I'm close, but it'll be four over a two month period. And, uh, nobody over the age of 50 has done it. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and that well, wait till I do it. Yeah, I've only I've, I've only done one at a time, and it's taken me a ton to recover. So I say that now. I put it out there to you and to our our faithful audience. But just uh, I'll start chronicling it. I've, I just put up a web page. I'm going to start chronicling on there, kind of a way to kind of get people interested in training. See that you know I fail too. See that you know see that I make mistakes. So, hey, I tried this to eat. It's not working well. Exercises, movements, and let them learn from. Uh, me really becoming a beginner again and learning something. So, 
Well, you know, I mean, and, and, and again, you're, if the, one of the things I always say when you stop learning with what you're doing, then it's time to quit or find something else you're doing, right? Yeah, I, I love doing it. And that's where people get stuck. They get comfortable being pretty good at something. They don't want to stretch beyond that. And that's it's part of how you train, I believe, how you train your people. And what I, that's the only people I'll take on right now is I love to, to, to work with people at their stretch points. I don't want to work in comfort zone. It doesn't interest me. That's why everybody asks, hey, would you ever consider giving hitting lessons or you know, one-on-one basketball lessons? It's like, no, because I don't want to work with those type of kids. We have our teams and we, boy, they know they're going to get stretched. They don't always like it, but um, at the end they do. They see the benefits of it and the parents do, but it's that education process that we go through. But I'm going to put myself out there and just kind of, my, uh, my wife had the idea. She goes, why don't you sh- just put it out there and show people, you know, what you're talking about. Be the human guinea pig that you make mistakes, you're sore some days, you, you know, scale back on training, go further on training, that it's a learning process and, and, uh, and show them how you're you get to a certain point and you're able to thematically move your experiences from other things that you may have, I don't want to use the word mastered. It sounds like I'm, you know, but things that you've gotten really proficient in, you can use those skill sets and thematically bring it over, but not to a certain, only when you reach a certain point, you can never skip the fundamentals at all. So, right. um, but I'm, I'm, your, your stuff's going to be prominent on there. Cause I'm going to give you credit. The stuff, well, the emphasis that you placed on it, I never knew it, never thought about it. Um, on the toes, the feet and the Achilles, that ankle range down there, yep. that has had the single most uh, positive impact on my this this next journey. Single most, um, and uh, I give you credit for that because it's been. I broke three toes the first time I did the race, um, and uh, so I've, the flexibility, the how well my feet feel. My ankles, the range of motion, amazing. So that you pointing that out, you did it on our first show. We talked about our first show, yep. but we expounded upon as you've tested athletes coming through. I've taken that really serious. It's a priority every day. I, I work with that portion. Um, I work with my my hips, and then I work with my my fingers, wrists, and and uh, anything below the elbow. And that has nothing to do with the ultra training, but uh, that has more to do with the uh, me having to throw batting practice and hit fungos all the time. But I do, those three things are staples every day, hips and hips, especially. And, uh, but the feet, ankles, toes nonstop did it. In fact, I'll say this, and this may be a little effeminate, but, um, I got a, a workout program, uh, well, with the, with the fingers down from a, from a gymnast. I said, how do you guys have such strong hands? You know, baseball guys are, you know, you, we had talked about the, it's not really good squeezing that static ball, but I do some quick twitch stuff with the forearms for the kids. They showed me some really basic things that look silly. Like I'm like, oh my God, that's it? Yeah. Oh, it's hard as heck. And it's had more of an effect on my, my from my, my fingertips down to my elbow than any other uh, workout I've done for that. And there's no weights involved. Well, no, the weights don't, you know, that's, you know, you don't need weights. That's one of the biggest myths we have. And, you know, in working with these young people, I had a, a thanks to you, I had a new client come in that had an ACL surgery. And the, the, no concept, no one ever looks at the ankle range of motion. You know, you have a non-contact ACL injury. There's no attention paid to the ankle. Get, by the way, Dave, of the two legs, right, we all have two legs. We had, in this case, we have a surgical, surgical, surgically repaired leg, and we have a non-surgically repaired leg. Guess, guess which leg had the, the worst ankle? The, was it the non? 
the nine. Yeah. And when she described how she tore the ACL, non-contact, jumping, falling away, coming back on. As she jumped, which is even more rare, it's usually upon landing because that's that the, the load from the deceleration that causes the trouble. Um, and no one looked at it. And so here's your case. You have a severe injury that is also uh, considered a disruption to the nervous system, right? This is a disruption to the nervous system. It's not just a torn ligament. And you're going to put this tendon now in place of a ligament, and you're going to have the person go out and do the same crap they were doing beforehand. They told her to go out and jog. So you're going to have a kid that has this newly repaired knee go out and jog without anyone looking at, well, what's her jog look like? What is the range of motion on the, let's look at the knees. Never mind that she has a hip issue on the surgically repaired leg. Let's just have her go back out and run. And we wonder, especially with women, why there's this massive 20 times plus likelihood of retear in the ACL because they never fix the mechanics. They're just putting another piece in and that's going to break. It's like it's a Lego set. So it's maddening when you see this. It's maddening to know what's going on. And then you see that individual case that just confirms it all. It's just tough to deal with sometimes. No, that's a good point. Good point. And we'll, uh, I think it's a great spot to leave, leave our audience with the thing. We gave them a ton today with, um, how, how do you want to, we're going to be off next week for Thanksgiving, have a happy Thanksgiving. And how do you want to leave? And with that, episode 357 in the books, thanks to Sal here. Uh, wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks to our 60,000, uh, closing in on 60,000 subscribers. Appreciate your support. You know what to do. Uh, stream it wherever you possibly can stream. Let iHeartRadio know they made a great choice. Five stars, write some great comments. We can battle those analytics of the podcast world, just like they do in Major League Baseball. The Blackout Coffee, Be Awake, Not Woke. Load up on your holiday coffee. Make sure that you get your 20% out of checkout. Capital David, D-A-V-I-D, number 20 afterwards. You'll get 20% and then you get 15% in perpetuity with that. Appreciate a uh, great episode again, Sal. And look forward to the week after Thanksgiving we'll be back. So thanks again, buddy. Have a great, have a great holiday.